Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to be studying the prayer life of Jesus, the perfect prayer life from the perfect person, the perfect prayer life. It's one thing to listen to one another pray, maybe learn some things about prayer, learn some things about having a relationship with God. Uh, It's another thing to listen to Jesus pray to the Father. So we're going to look at Jesus and his perfect prayer life. Okay, now this is a study that entire books have been devoted to. Okay, Uh, so we will use the time allotted and get through as much as we can. But as we go through this, Allow the Lord to speak to your heart about prayer. Sometimes we can get into a place where we pray. I believe everyone in here prays. Um, But this is something where every one of us, we can grow in this area for sure. Okay, And it's not always just time. I want to pray more. Um, But uh, we'll look at the life of Christ and his prayer life. Hebrews 5 And verse number seven says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered being made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Verse number seven talks about him offering up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that is, was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Let's study Jesus and his perfect prayer life. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bless now. As we study this topic, please help me as I teach and preach. Please speak to our hearts. God, we need your help. It is an awesome thing to know that we can speak to the creator of the universe and that you listen to us. It's not because of who we are, Father. It's because of who you are and your goodness and your grace. And because of the sacrifice of Christ, we love you. Lord, if there's someone listening to this, recording of this, and they've never trusted Christ as their Savior, pray in the name of Jesus Christ that today they would realize they need a Savior from their sin. May they trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jesus taught us how to have a relationship with God. He taught us what that looked like. One of the amazing things about Jesus is that he prayed. Now, Jesus is perfect and he was perfect. He did not pray in order to become perfect, right? So we're going to study and try to answer these questions. Why did Jesus pray? We're going to talk about why did he pray? Why did he pray for us? 
Um, and we're going to try to ask some questions and we're going to try to follow his example or learn from his example about his relationship with God. Before we get into the details of Jesus and his prayer life, there's one thing that you'll never see Jesus do when he prayed. And this is one thing that we have to do. Okay. You'll never see Jesus confess his sin as he prayed. Right. Now, this is something that he taught us to do. This is something that is throughout the Bible. Um, and, and so we can see where it says in uh, Hebrews, we're in Hebrews 5, but if you go back to Hebrews chapter 4, and these are the verses we studied last week, but if you look at Hebrews 4, verse number 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's look at another passage in Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 7 says, Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Now this is a quote from Psalm 40. Okay? Um, And Jesus is saying that he's coming to do the will of God. And then look at verse number 9. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second, talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, and that's a whole other area of study. But it says in verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified, we are made holy, we are forgiven, we are purified before God. How? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, all right? And then it goes on to say, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Man's religion, no matter if we want to talk about some types of Christian religions or other types of religions, there is a continual process that must be in place in order to daily cleanse yourself from your sin. Almost like when we take baths and showers, right? We don't have to be born every day. We have to be cleansed every day. But in, in, in a works-based salvation that is not based on grace, it's not based on faith according to the word of God, they essentially have to renew their salvation every day. But the Bible teaches us that Christ died once for all. So we have to trust Christ once for our entire life. We have to, it is a moment, it is an experience, it is a choice that we have to make. He died once and we are sanctified through the offering, as it says in verse number 10, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. It says, uh, verse number 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Now, if you go to Hebrews 9, once again, 
Go back one chapter. Hebrews 9. We just sang the song, Nothing But the Blood. Right? We believe in the blood of Christ. We believe in the blood atonement. Okay? If you move on from here and go somewhere else and you go to another church, how do you know a church is a good church? They believe in the blood of Christ being necessary for your salvation. We read the verse about the body of Christ. Okay? He was the incarnate son of God, the living uh, God-man, right? He was Emmanuel, God with us. But it wasn't just his presence on earth and it wasn't just his sacrifice of his body on the cross. It was also the sacrifice of his blood. Both of those things we celebrate when we take the Lord's Supper, which we will do here in just a couple of weeks. Okay, We celebrate the, that he offered his blood and we offer, he offered his body. And both of those things were necessary. And we see here in Hebrews 9 and verse number 22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission or there is no forgiveness without blood. So we've got to understand when we come to God in prayer, he is looking first to see what is our status with forgiveness. Have we been sanctified? Have we been saved? Do we belong to him through the acceptance of Christ alone for our salvation? People across this world cry out to God and God does, is not, he, God is not required or obligated to answer the prayers of someone whose sins have not been forgiven. I prayed to God and he didn't answer me, so there's no such thing as God. Okay, we need to roll that back a bit. Matter of fact, I heard somebody make that statement on the news a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there was a child that had been lost and there was some tragic thing and he prayed and, and God didn't answer. So he's saying there on the news. So God's not real. It's like, well, you're misinformed. That's not the way that works. So we've got to understand, first of all, when we're talking about prayer, we've got to ask ourselves the very first foundational question. Have we been forgiven? Have our sins been cleansed? From the Old Testament, we see this through, through uh, rituals and through the ceremonies. Before they could ever come to God and, 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 and speak to God and ask of God, they first brought a sacrifice every single time. They did not expect God to hear them and to answer them if first they did not bring a sacrifice for their sin. Well, Christ is our sacrifice. Christ is our sacrifice. He died once for our sin, once for the sins of the world, once for all. Okay, once again, let's look at uh, Hebrews 9 and we'll look at verse number 26, 27, and 28. Verse 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once, it says that a lot in Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews is a comparison between the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, nothing was once. Nothing was once. It was often. It was daily and then yearly and then for special events. But Christ once, what did he offer? He offered himself, it says. But now once 
in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Okay? That's so important when it comes to our prayer life. We don't come and, and ask God to save us on a, daily, on a daily basis. We come to God in the confidence that we have trusted Christ as our Savior and that our sin is permanently dealt with. By this I mean the, the consequences for our sin. We now have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Christ was offered for our sin. Now let's take another look at 1 John. 1 John chapter number 1. So when we're talking about the prayer life of Jesus, Jesus did not pray because he was a sinner. Jesus prayed because he was human. We'll talk about this in just a moment. But Jesus never had to confess his sin because he was sinless. He was the perfect, sinless son of God. But in order for us to learn from Christ's prayer life, he offered himself for the sins of everyone, but we need to come through him if, we're, if God is going to hear our prayer. We need to have a time where we've trusted Christ as our savior. We need to have been saved. The Bible says in John 3, it calls it being born again, right? The terms born again, salvation, being saved, redemption, all of these things mean the same thing. It's just coming at it from a different angle, okay? Um, but it's, and so then now as a saved person there, for me, that was July 25th, 1999, right? I was 16 years old. I was just two weeks away from my, from my 17th birthday and growing up in church, I'd heard the gospel story my whole life, even made a couple professions of faith, but it was all up here. It was all intellectual. It was all knowledge. Now we have to have the knowledge of Christ in order to get saved. We have to hear the gospel. All right. But it's not just intellectually accepting these things as fact. There has to be an experience. What kind of experience? Oh, the clouds will part. No, that's not it. It's not some kind of spooky, strange, uh, natural phenomenon that happens at the moment. It's nothing like that. It's not about what happened to us emotionally. It's about a choice. It's about a choice that we make. We have to have trusted Christ as our savior. We have to make that decision. We have to look at the evidence. We have to look at what scripture says. And then we have to make the choice. Yes, I'm trusting Christ as my savior. And that choice comes from the deepest part of us. Okay. It's, it's, we are trusting Christ with our eternal destination. That has to take place. And that seals our relationship with God. We are now forgiven. We now belong to God. All right. And Jesus, our great high priest, he's the one that paid that sin debt for us through the sacrifice of his own body, through the sacrifice of his own blood. Okay. You say, what, what, why, why, why is, uh, what makes a Baptist church different from another church? There's a lot of reasons. 
But this is one of the reasons. The atonement, the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. Well, other people believe that. They may and they may not. But as a Baptist, we definitely know that we believe in the literal death of Jesus Christ, that we believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. He was God in the flesh. We believe that. Okay, if you don't believe that, you're not a Baptist. Well, let's just go to a church and sing about Jesus and have a good time and love Jesus. What Jesus? Which one? There are many antichrists. There, is, there are churches out there that worship a Jesus that all he is is an example for us to follow. That his death was essentially just a really good example of nonviolence. Like Gandhi or something. I'm not kidding. That's exactly what it, there are many, many, many churches in town. And in this world that believe it is called progressive theology. What does that church believe? Well, they're a non-denominational church. Do they believe in the blood atonement? They may, they may not. But when you see Baptist on the name of a church, you know they believe that. They believe in the blood atonement. They believe in the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. And they believe in the bodily resurrection. So we've trusted Christ as our savior. Does that mean that we can just pray? We can learn from Jesus's uh, prayer life and we can just pray and everything's fine. Let's look at 1 John chapter number. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. There's one thing you can say about the example of Jesus Christ. When he was praying, he was walking according to the father's will. He was living in the way the father wanted him to live. Now he always did because he's the perfect son of God. But one of the things we have to ask ourselves when we look at our prayer life is, We can't just live the way we want to live and come to God in prayer and expect our prayers to be answered. When God is looking at whether or not he's going to answer our prayers, first he sees whether or not we're saved. It doesn't mean he never answers the prayers of lost people. He does. Scripture records that. He definitely answers the prayers of lost people. But he's not required to do that. Whereas to the saved person, he gives us incredible promises that we can trust and hold on to and say, Jesus, you gave us your believers this promise and we can come boldly to the throne of grace. He doesn't say that to lost people. They can't come boldly to the throne of grace to to find help in time of need because they haven't had their sin problem dealt with. The first prayer that a lost person really needs to pray in order to gain and grow in this area of prayer, they need to get saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They need to call and pray in belief and cry out to him for for forgiveness. They need to trust Christ. And that seals that relationship. That now they're forgiven. They belong to Christ. But after that, what is God looking for? 
God is looking for our walk. I cannot be walking against and in the opposite direction of what God wants for my life. I cannot be walking against the word of God and expect God to listen to my prayers and hear me. That's not the way it works. It says, and let's look at verse number six once again, 1 John 1 and verse six. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now we need to understand God looks at our walk. We also need to understand that we can lie to ourselves. I'm doing great. You know, people will walk in completely a different direction than what God says in his word. And they say, oh, I pray all the time. Me and God are real close. Really? Because that's not what God says. It's not really authentic fellowship with God if it doesn't line up with his word. You've just got something going on in your head. We can convince ourselves of almost anything, guys. The Bible says that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We cannot follow our, listen, we cannot follow the guidance of our own heart when it comes to our prayer life, when it comes to our fellowship with God and our relationship with God. We have to be guided by his spirit. How do we know it's his spirit? It is connected to his truth, always. It is amazing when we speak to people. They never come to church. You can see things in their life where they are actively going against what God's word clearly teaches. Their walk does not line up with what God says. Oh, I love God. Jesus is amazing. We pray. I talk to God all the time. You say, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Doesn't mean you have to be perfect in order to pray because no one will ever be perfect. Christ is the only one that's ever been perfect, but we do have to be going the same direction. Guys, listen, why do we not get our answers to prayer? Sometimes it's because we're stubborn. We're stubborn about where we're going in life. I am not going to do that. God, I am not doing that. But I want you to answer my prayer. It's not the way it works. We're going to come back to 1 John, but let me show you in John 17. We can see this in the life of Christ, learning from Jesus' prayer life. John 17, the entire chapter is a prayer of Jesus. Again, there have been entire books devoted to just this one chapter. So we won't be able to uh, glean everything out, everything possible from this one prayer because it would take many, many weeks. If that's what the Lord wants, then that's what we'll do. But we'll just pick some things out. Look at what it says in John 17 and verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. Uh, look at verse number, verse number four. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. 
And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. There Jesus is talking about his deity, that he was with the Father before the world. Verse 6, I've manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Do you see how over and over again Jesus is talking about God, I'm on the same page as you. His prayer, the prayer life of Jesus was always praying that God's desires would be done. That God's, what was God's desire for the life of Jesus? What did God, why, why did the father send the son? Well, he sent him there for many reasons, but ultimately it was to be so that he would be there to die on the cross for our sin. There were certain things that needed to happen in those three and a half years of public ministry. And Jesus said in those three and a half years, actually for the whole 33 and a half years, but he said, I've done what you've told me to do. Here's the question, guys. When we come to God in prayer, can we say that? God, I'm doing what you want me to do. As I know it right now. Again, in a year from now, my knowledge of God and my knowledge of what he wants me to be is going to grow, most likely, right? Lord willing, if we continue on and and continue to be in his word and come together as a church. But right now, can we say with God, I'm going the direction I know that you want me to go. I remember when I was praying about uh, whether or not God wanted me to be a pastor, a preacher, a missionary. It was my first year of, uh, actually, it was before I even went to Bible college. God was working in my heart, and I really had a strong desire to be in his word and to be in church and just be involved with everything that was going on in the church. And this uh, evangelist came through. We had a special meeting at our church. And I wanted to be there, but also I knew God wanted me to be there. I took off from work. And I was there all day long. I was there for every night. And it was one of these kind of old-fashioned revivals where they would have like, the service would start at 6 or 6.30. They would have a bunch of songs and a choir special and special music. And then one preacher. And they'd come forward and we'd pray after that. And then they would say, okay, everybody, if you need to go to the washroom, then go ahead and go to the washroom. And then they'd start singing another song. Man, those kind of meetings are awesome, right? Can't do them all the time, but man, they're good. We start singing, we'd sing a couple more songs, then they'd call up another preacher. We had two preachers every night. Man, this one guy, God really used him. Man, I was just inside, I was just broken. I was just, God, I don't know what you want me to do. I want to do anything you want me to do. And just a lot of confusion and, and a lot of, well, I could do this with my life and I could do that with my life. And, and I think that maybe it looks like this could happen or, or, or maybe this and there's this opportunity and I have this desire. And after the preaching, I went down to the altar. They had a long invitation. And the pressure was from God. It wasn't from the guy at the pulpit. And it wasn't from my pastor at all. Man, I was just broken, weeping, just crying, embarrassed, 19 years old, right? You're trying to do one of these. 
And I finally kind of, you know, okay, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And I got some Kleenexes and then went out to the washroom and cleaned myself up and then came back into the service and the invitation was still going. And man, as soon as I came back in there, the, the presence of God was just nothing, nothing spooky. Nobody's running around screaming, doing handstands and flips. It wasn't that kind of a thing. It was real. God was there. And more importantly, God was working in my heart. And I remember going forward again. Apparently there was more tears and more snot that needed to come out because it was messy. (laughs) And I'm down there and I'm just sitting down on the floor. And there's people around me praying. And one of the singers, they had this group, uh, a father and two sons, adult adult sons. And they, they were the special music. And he came up to me and he said, is there something I can pray with you about? I don't know. (laughs) Right? Is God calling you to preach? I don't know. And I didn't. Then he asked me a question. He's like, are you doing everything now that you know you're supposed to be doing? I said, "I, I think so. He's like, well, keep doing that and keep praying and God will show you what he wants you to do with your life. You know what? He was right. Guys, that's my question. COVID's messed up our world. It's messed up our regular rhythms and our regular habits. And there's some of that that is completely outside of our control. And oftentimes we fight what's going on in our minds Oftentimes we catch on to the world of the, the, the world's definition of anxiety and depression. And God says, no, actually what's going on here is you're just not doing what I want you to do and you feel guilty. That's the effect of sin in your life. That's the effect of you not willing to do what you know you're supposed to be doing. Before we talk about the and dig into the depths of Christ and his prayer life, we have to ask ourselves this one question. Have I accepted Christ as my savior? That's the preliminary question. But the question for today is this, guys. Am I doing what I know he wants me to do? Have I gotten lazy? And in my laziness, have I gotten obstinate and stubborn? God, I don't want to do that, but I do want you to answer my prayer. Guys, this is not a negotiation. (laughs) We cannot be the little kid in the supermarket that's lying on the floor and kicking and screaming because we want our favorite box of cereal. And mom says no, which by the way, you don't see that very much anymore. So moms must not be saying no. Either that or kids just getting better. I think it's because kids are getting better these days. Or maybe they just don't go to, they don't go to the supermarket with mom anymore. I think that's probably what it is. God, I want you to fix my problem like this. Sometimes we confuse faith with stubbornness. I'm just going to keep praying. I'm just going to keep on pushing God. I'm going to make him. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And God's like, uh, you're not walking with me anymore, actually. You've kind of got off and done your own thing and you've labeled it as faith and it's just stubbornness we've all returned to our own way the bible says in psalm or isaiah 53 
We all like sheep. You say, well, that's about lost people. Guys, we still have a lot of that in us, don't we? We still have a lot of that wandering sheep. I'm going to do my own thing. But aren't you thankful for the good shepherd? Aren't you thankful that Jesus loves us enough to leave the 90 and 9 and hike out into the mountains and come looking for us and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? One of the evidences of walking in fellowship with the Lord is that you're with him, but also with your, you're with his sheep. And guys, we need to ask ourselves the question, am I stubborn? Am I, am I wandering? Am I feeling these things? Experiencing these things? Prayer doesn't seem to be working for me right now. Are we walking according to his will? Are we just being stubborn? Are we doing what we know that God wants us? Are we doing what we know that he wants us to do? Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.